not implying that I know more than anybody, and I know many people that know a lot more than I do, and I'm thankful for that. But from my prayer and study and much study over the years on this subject, I have come to the understanding that you can't possibly ever fully comprehend the depths of the love of God. Why is that? Let me read to you a couple of verses. First John 4, verses 12 and 13. I think this will prove my point very dramatically. No man had seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. Verse 14, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoso, uh, whoso shall confess, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and God, uh, God dwelleth in him, and he in God, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to, to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. That statement, those three little words, three-letter word G, O, D, second, two-letter word I, S, four-letter word L, O, V, E. A total of nine letters, God is love, is one of the most profound statements that can be considered by any human being of any intellect or educational background level. And spiritually, uh, once I see that statement and believe that statement, then I have to accept this one point. The love of God is limitless. Limitless. Now, of course without get, getting too far off the subject of today, uh, there's a lot of people that defined God and him being love from their perspective and by their definition of love. Now, the only definition of love, of this love, God being love, is found in the Bible. Your opinion of that and mine are totally irrelevant and unimportant. I don't really care what your opinion of it is, and I hope you don't care what my opinion of it is. If I really want to know the truth of what the love of God is, I've got to go to the Word of God because the Word of God is truth. And since the Word of God is the Word of God, not the words of God, it's a whole entity, the love of the word of God, uh, since it's the word of God, it's not only God telling us about things, it's God telling us about himself. And since he has power, but is love, he has uh, authority, but he is love, he has righteousness and holiness, but he is love, you get the picture? Uh, love is the only uh characteristic, or as we would call it, 
that God doesn't just say he has, uh, but that he is. You can't separate love from God. Now, of course, the problem is uh, most people, like me, don't speak Greek, uh, either biblical, the Greek of the biblical time or uh, current modern Greek. I don't speak it. I, I, I can read reference works about what uh, the Greek scholars say about the words, uh, but I don't know how to pronounce them. And uh, I don't speak Greek. But in this day and time we live in, uh, you and I, as a uh, person who is not a Greek scholar, uh, have tremendous advantages over those who love God and loved his word just uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Because on this iPad right here, I have... Uh, an app, the one I use now, which is Olive Tree, the one I use primarily. I have about 10 of them, but I use Olive Tree. And uh, I have, over the last several years, bought quite a few reference works, and they're all available to me right here. Well, a couple of the uh, Bible translations I have, not just one, but a couple of them, uh, I can touch on a word and it immediately brings me up to Strong's Hebrews or Greek Dictionary. And then from there, I can access all the other Greek references I have right from that box uh, on that word. And then I don't have to take any one Greek scholar's word for what that word means. I can read them all. And I do. I read, I read uh, as many of them as necessary so that I can see what variations each scholar is giving, little variations to definition they give. And after I've reached the point that they're all basically saying the same, I have some confidence that that's what that word means. Now, that doesn't mean I automatically understand how the Holy Ghost applied it and what the Holy Ghost meant in applying it, but at least the word itself, because words are our tools, uh, it's, words are God's tools. Uh, it Knowing what a, a certain word and why he chose that rather than another word is very important. And it's the same thing just like with what we would call love. There are several, several different Greek words that are translated both in secular Greek and in uh, the Bible by the uh, English word love. I mean, I could say I love chocolate and I could say I love Alice and I can say I love Jesus, but we all understand that I mean something very different in using the word love in each one of those. Well, the reason that Greek is so important is because it is a very precise language. It's so amazing to me that uh, Hebrew is less precise than Greek. It's more of an emotional language from what I've studied. And so God would take the rigidity of the law and write it in words that are more have more feeling to them and are more uh, emotional and l less precise. And then he would take grace and the, the book of grace, which is the New Testament, and all that we know about the coming of, uh, of, of God in the person of Christ and the death, burial, resurrection, the salvation, the church, and all that, and he would take all of that grace and then write it in the, the, the language of science. And that's Greek. 
And so there are three primary Greek words for love, what we would use as love, eros, philia, and agape. And uh, two of those three are in the King James New Testament, Greek New Testament, but one of them is not. The first one is eros. It's probably the one of, if not the most used, from what I've read from scholars, uh, Greek uh, word for love that in classical or uh, secular Greek literature, uh, eros. Uh, it's uh, the word from which we get the word erotic, etc. cetera. Uh, so that gives you some idea of what kind of love that's talking about. But basically, the idea of that kind of love is selfish love or what's in it for me. Okay, I'm going to love you because of what I'm going to get back from you. That's that kind of love is eros. And then there, one of the one of the one of the two or the other two are used a lot in the in the the King James uh, or in the the Textus Recepta, the the Greek text of the King James, and that is philia, which is it's uh, some call it brotherly love, but it, uh, it's also the love of one human to another, uh, primarily. It's an emotional love, but it is an emotional love with a bond and a connection and all that. But because of the emotional uh, element of it, it is, can be consistent or inconsistent. But then, then, there is a word that's not found in the classical Greek, uh, that's only found in the Greek New Testament from all that I've read, uh, and that is the word agape. And God is agape, and there's only one source of agape, and that's God. And if I don't have agape, I don't have God. And if I don't have God, I don't have agape. And when I'm reading the scripture, if I don't understand the difference between philia, which all humans have, I can have philia toward my children. I can have philia toward my wife, a wife toward her husband. I can have philia toward my parents. I can have philia toward my friends. I can have philia, to, philia toward my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I can have philia toward a lot of things. And, of course, again, the exact thing that I mean by philia in that situation would apply would be uh, you'd have to know the context and who it is or what it is I have philia for. But uh, agape, no, there's only one source of agape. Nobody's born with agape. Nobody's born with God. Uh, we're born by God. God brought us into existence, and he caused our birth, and he's the one that sustains our lives. But we don't automatically have God. And we don't automatically have agape. And I'll go back to the verses I read to you starting at the beginning here. First John 4, 12, no man has seen God at any time. If we love agape one another, God dwelleth in us, and his agape love is perfected in us. And the Greek word there for perfected does not mean perfect or flawless. It means mature, to come to completion or maturity and fruitfulness. So a, uh, a five-year-old girl, a 12-year-old girl, a 16-year-old girl, all may be uh, very 
female. But womanhood in this context, uh, as being the source of human reproduction and life, uh, the woman is not perfected without childbirth. Now, I'm not saying a perfect, I'm not making a doctoral statement there. I'm just saying, use, trying to use the example of that word, of, uh, of, of what it would mean in the Greek. Um, so, um, the importance of all of this is, if we don't get this, everything else we do that we call Christianity is just religion. If we don't get this. It's just religion. You take the love of God as the motive behind all of this, out of the equation, and you take God out of the equation because God is love. And I can do religious activities, and I can do it in faith, meaning I have, I believe those religious activities to be, uh, to be good and something I should be involved in. I can believe doctrine without God, uh, because I can believe that that's true. I can read the Bible without God's help. Because I can read words and they're on the page. But I cannot know God without knowing love. I cannot love others in a way that pleases God without love. And as we will see uh, in a few minutes here, uh, the, oh, there's only one way to get that love. And that is we love him because he first loved us. I've said this many times and it needs to be said today. Some people believe that God loves the whole world. Oh, the Bible says that. Uh, you have to read, if you read that verse in context, one of them being John 3.16, you will see that it's not saying that everybody in the world is loved by God. Because what it's really saying is God offers his love to the whole world. But you or I or anybody is not loved by God until we receive that love. And receiving the love of God includes having faith in Him and submitting to Him as God and trusting His motives toward us. I haven't received the love of God and I don't believe the love of God unless I believe that God is and that He is uh, his motives are right and pure and that he wants what's best for me. Even if what I, even what he, even if what he calls is best for me, I don't like. But he looks at everything from where he lives and where we're headed, which is where he lives. And that is in eternity. We look at things for the most part as to how they affect here and now. This is temporal life. So when the Bible says God loves us, that doesn't mean we're gonna, we like everything he does and says from a human perspective because everything he is doing for us, he is doing for our eternal good because he knows how fleeting this is. He knows how temporary this is. And what, what is the count? Uh, as I've seen today, as of yesterday that, what is it? 165 plus thousands of Americans including people that I have, I hold here and uh, near and dear 
that have died away, died in the, in the last, uh, this year so far from COVID. I mean, uh, this life is very temporary. It's very temporary. If you don't believe that and you don't get that, then I don't know what Bible you're reading. And I don't know what God you know. Because God is eternal. We are not in our current existence. And this life is not eternal. And Paul says it really well in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the last couple of verses there, when he says, uh, we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen, because the things which can be seen are temporal, and the things which cannot be seen are eternal. Now, you do all you want to to save the planet, but my Bible says this planet is, there's going to be a day this planet's not going to exist. So you invest all yourself in the here and now you want to. Just give yourself to try to make this heaven on earth if you want to do that. But you're wasting your time and wasting your life because God has said this isn't going to be forever. Why? Because he's trying to get across to us <coughs> that this life is very, very temporary and that we weren't created for this life. That wasn't God's plan. It's not God's plan. We are created for eternity to be a part of His plan. So I'll read to you again. First John chapter 4, verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is, is brought to a place of maturity or completion in us. How do we know that? Because you don't ever take one verse or one little set of scriptures out of the context of the entire Bible. The Bible is a, an homogenous whole. And all false doctrine comes from taking a verse or a few out of the context, not only of the context in which they're written, but in the, out of the context of the entire Bible. And I've used this example many times. But there are, are people that treat the Bible like, uh, like, uh, four, five, six blind men trying to describe an elephant. And one is telling you what is, what, a, what the leg feels like. And another's trying to tell you what the tail feels like. And the other's trying to tell you what the skin feels like. And another one's trying to tell you what the, what the ear feels like. And another's trying to tell you what the trunk is like. And, and, and all of that. And, what they're saying about that one particular part of the element, elephant may be true, but it's not accurately described unless it's being described as a part of and seen as a part of the whole. And so it is with the love of God. I cannot say that I know anything about God or His love when I take my comprehension or my definition or my opinion of the love of God outside of the context of the Word of God, and then I define it like I want it defined. And so, people doing that say, God is such a good God and such a loving God, He wouldn't send anybody to hell. Well, you, you can believe that if you want. It's free country. Technically, I guess you can get cancel culture over not believing that, right? Uh, so be it. Cancel me. Uh, the problem is, 
I don't believe that. I believe it is the love of God that ultimately results in some people being lost. Because if God is offering His love to me and I'm rejecting that love, how's He going to save me by His love if I've rejected the means of that salvation? So He may love me so much that He went to the extreme of emptying Himself of glory and clothing Himself in flesh and causing that flesh to be a substitutionary sacrifice for you and I so that we could be saved... And then He's willing not only to forgive us of all of our past, present, and future mistakes, but He's also willing to abide in us and with us and let us abide within him, in Him and with Him. Now, He's willing to do all that. But if I reject Him, I reject the love that makes all that happen. Makes all that possible. If I reject Him... If I reject his love. So, is it true that the love of God doesn't want anybody to go to hell? Yes. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 is one place that says it's not his will that any should perish. But we know that one of the greatest sins in the Bible is doing our will and not God's will. It's called iniquity. And so, while it may be the will of God for us all to be saved... He's not going to save people that aren't doing His will. He's not going to do it. Not because He's pitching a fit or He's pouting or whatever, but because if He saved people that didn't do His will, He would be saving people that didn't believe in Him, and He would be He would be violating and being untrue to His own nature. He would cease to be God. And so... Uh, Here's the next verse again. Hereby we know that we dwell in Him. Wait, wait. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. Okay, that's a sign or a symptom that God is dwelling in us. But how do we know God is dwelling in us? Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us. Because on this account, by this reason, for this, according to this evidence, He hath given us of His Spirit. Let's read in another place for a moment. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read a, the first uh, four verses quickly, but giving you context. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing, why, how in the world, why would we glory or rejoice or boast in tribulations? In the Greek word there's thalipsis, which means pressure or situations that cause pressure and therefore possibly pain. Knowing that tribulation works or, or, or activates or produces in us patience. In the Greek word there is uh, it, it means endurance. And patience, uh, in the word, impl implied word there is in this string of grammatical words. Patience worketh. It's implied though not there. Worketh experience. 
That means now I know something not just intellectually, but now I know it by practice and I know it works. And experience works. Hope and hope is, we don't, the biblical definition of hope isn't like our hope. What we, you know, I, I hope it doesn't rain today. That means I wish it is my will and it is, it is my desire that it not rain today. But the biblical word, Greek, the Greek word translated hope is a confident expectation of the certainty of something. That's why biblical hope is greater than faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith, faith brings me to hope because faith isn't just, a hope is not just confidence in what's been said, but hope is, or confidence is, is, uh, is, uh, hope is confidence not just in what was said, but in who said it. That's why Abraham believed in hope, who against hope believed in hope, even when all evidence said he should have no confident expectation, because he believed the word and he believed the one who gave the word. A lot of people don't get that one. They believe the word, but they don't really believe the one that gave the word. They're not certain of him. They don't trust him. And they let circumstances undermine their faith. If I know the one who gave the word and I have, and I'm confident in him, then circumstances can't undermine my faith in what he said. Can't do it. That's why it's hope. And these three abide, faith, hope, and ah. King James uses the word charity, but the Greek word is agape. So God begins by speaking to us his word, and he brings these things to pass. And then when you find out that he is faithful, no matter what he says, then we reach the place that when he speaks, we're not just believing his word, but we're believing in the one who gave the word. And as we believe in the one who gave the word and the words he gives, now we begin to know the nature and the character of this one that we have confidence in what he tells us. And we, and when we get to know him, now we begin to mature in the love of God. And that love of God becomes the entire foundation of our lives. The biblical or biblically defined love of God. Now, so, uh, by who, Romans 5, 2, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. In other words, if I have confident expectation in this one that I not only believe what he says, but I believe him, he's never going to let me be ashamed. And what is the basis of all of this? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So if I go back to John 4, 4 verse 13, hereby we know that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And because we dwell in Him and He in us, because He's given us His Spirit, and 
uh, and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by Him giving us the Spirit, then we can go to the next previous verse, the first one we read. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. So I can say, I don't need the Holy Ghost. I've got God, and I've got the love of God. You don't have God, and you don't have the love of God without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You can believe in God, but that doesn't mean you know God. Go to Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, and I won't get into the detail of that, details of that in this lesson, but, or message, or whatever this is, word, uh, that's what it is. Uh, you, you, you can, you, you can know, all those folks claim to, to know God. And in Luke 13, in a parallel passage of Matthew 7, 21 through 23, when he said, uh, you, you, depart from me, they can say, but, but you, you, you fellowship with us, our streets, you, you ate with us, we, how can you not know us? Because I was never in you, and our relationship was never pleasing to me. Now, once I accept the fact that if I have God in me, I have the love of God in me, because the only way I've got God and the love of God in me is because He's given me His Spirit. And so if I have God, if through receiving His Spirit, I have God and the love of God in me, then the, one of the proofs of that is not just speaking in tongues. It's the fact that I love others. And I've been around people who speak in tongues a lot. And, and I speak in tongues a lot. But I've been around some that even though they spoke in tongues, they were very critical. They were, they had, they were constantly finding fault. They were gossiping. Uh, and, 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 and some Holy Ghost filled people that actually have a problem with other people because of the color of their skin. And the culture of those with the color of their skin. Or the language they speak. If I don't love everybody, and I have a problem with people's skin color, and I have a problem with people's culture, meaning I can't love them because of their culture. That doesn't mean I agree with everything they do. It doesn't mean that at all. Because the love of God, God gave us His love before He agreed with everything going on in our life because He knew only His love could change these things into that which would please Him. So if He wasn't able to love me before I was perfect, I had no hope. So I've got to be able to receive the love of God just like I am. I've got to, I've got to be able to receive and believe the love of God like I am knowing I'm not worthy of what he's doing and done. Because only by receiving the love of God, by receiving the Spirit of God, which means that's the way the God comes in my life, only by the indwelling God, the love of God, the Spirit of God in me, can he change the things in me from the inside out. And he doesn't stop with just the inside. Change those things from the inside out. Because out is not just physical appearance or things I do and don't do activity-wise, but the way I treat people. The way I treat people. Yeah, the love of God. 
And what we need today more than we've ever, than anything we've ever needed is the biblical love of God. Because if you say you're a Christian and you don't love people, other people, that doesn't mean you agree with how they live or whatever, but you, 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 you love them. You're not, you're not wishing evil on them. You're not rejecting them. You're, you're, you're trying to demonstrate, you're trying to be a conduit for the demonstration of the love of God through you to them. Then you don't have the Holy Ghost. Dress as separated as you want to dress. Talk in tongues all you want. You might be the number one ringleader and running the aisles in church services. But if you've got people you don't love, my Bible, I saw where Jesus said, I'm supposed to love my enemies. Yeah, I love my enemies. That's what the book says to do. I'm supposed to love the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. I'm supposed to love those that despise me. I'm supposed to love everybody because they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting God and he'll take care of it when it's time. Until it's time, he's still trying to save everybody. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved, but he's still trying. And if I'm not still trying to save everybody, then I'm working in conflict with God. If there's anybody I don't want to be involved with, don't no, not them. I don't know. I don't have any part with them. No. And there are some people, of course, that their lifestyle, I can love them, but I can't go do what they do with them. So loving them doesn't mean I'm going to go get high with them or get drunk with them or something like that. I'm not going to go to the house of prostitution with them. I'm not going to do that. But I can love them. That means I'm not looking for a way to bust their chops all the time. I don't have an axe and two thirty-eights that I use as weapons against the lost. I don't. I have Acts two thirty-eight, which is a message of hope and a message of, uh, of of the love of God and how people can be changed. But to preach that with anger at people, it's not God. That's not how God does that. That's not God. That's not God. It's good news. When I take good news and preach it with an attitude that makes it bad news and threaten people with it, where's the love of God in that? Where's the love of God in that? So, let's go a little bit farther here because uh, we have just begun to crack the surface on this. First uh, John four fourteen again, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. I can't know that the man Christ Jesus is the Son of God without having the Spirit of God, which is also the exact same Spirit as the Spirit of Christ in me. If I have the Spirit of God in me, I have the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit that was in Christ because they're one and the same in me. So that's how I know that the man Christ Jesus is the Son of God because the Spirit that was in the Son of God is the same Spirit I received. When I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I received the, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, uh, the Spirit of Christ, uh, the Spirit of the Son. I, there's one Spirit. God is a Spirit. So when I won't receive one of those titles, the, the Spirit with one of those titles, I received all of those titles because there's only one Spirit. 
There's not two spirits, three spirits, a thousand spirits. There's one. God is one spirit. God is one spirit. And he uses different titles to describe how his spirit is operating in this area, this area, this area, this area. The spirit of the Father. The spirit of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord God. The spirit of God. The Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit. Etc., etc. The spirit of Christ. The spirit of the Son. All of those are the one same spirit. There's one spirit. Ephesians 4. There's one spirit. John 4. Uh, uh, yeah, 424 I think it is. God is a spirit. Yeah. So, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, he and God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. The word known there is the Greek word that goes way beyond knowing something intellectually. It means to know something experientially. So I experienced the love of God. How did I experience the love of God? When I repented of my sins, I believed and experienced a, a, a feeling of cleansing as baptized. But I received the love of God in my heart when I was baptized with the Holy Ghost. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. So, if the love of God is put in me by the Spirit of God coming into me, if I do not have the Spirit of God in me, as the Bible defines how it, it, how it comes into me, then I can believe God, but I don't have God in me. I could say I believe the Bible, but I don't have God in me. I can live morally. I can live according to the dictates of the, uh, of the Word of God, but I don't have God in me. In the Old Testament, God was with them. He was not in them. Yet they lived, tried to live by the Word of God, the law of God. That's Old Testament. That doesn't work in the New Testament anymore. It's not acceptable with God. It shouldn't be accept, acceptable with you. The Old Testament, God was with us. New Testament, God is in us. So the whole story of the Gospels and the book of Acts is how God went from being with us to God being in us. So when Christ was born, one of his titles, according to Matthew 1, is Emmanuel, which being interpreted according to Scripture is God with us. But in John 14, 15, 16, in the last teaching Jesus did to the disciples before he uh, went out and prayed in Gethsemane in just a couple hours and then was taken and crucified that night, take, taken that night and crucified the next day, uh, in those verses right there, he said, I've been with you, but I'm going to be in you. There's someone going to be in you now. And you're going to be in them. You're going to, I'm going, we're going to be in you and you're going to, you know, I'm going to be in you. You're going to be in me. So I'm baptized into Christ, Galatians 3.27. And the Spirit of God, God is baptized into me by, by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So that's, that's the transition from an Old Testament faith to a New Testament faith. And of course, there are those that call those of us that believe in Acts 2.38, the oneness of God, legalist I'm not the legalist anybody that's trying to live by their faith without having the spirit of God come in them is living an Old Testament experience with God 
You're living exactly like they did in the Old Testament. They, they, they knew there was a God. They believed in God. They believed his word and they did their best to keep those words. But that was Old Testament. God was with them. The New Testament, God is in us. Why? Because Jesus said it, John 15. Without me, ye can do nothing. So I need him in me to be the power in me to do those things through me that I cannot do myself. That's New Testament. But it really is even more simple than that. If I want God in me and I want the love of God in me, He loves everybody, even those that are rejected Him. For now, in this life here, He loves them. Now, that doesn't mean He's going to be doing a dance around the, and doing laps around the, the great white throne judgment when He has to send somebody to uh, the lake of fire forever. No. They're still His creation. He still loved them. But he has got to, he's responding to their choices and the decision of their will to not go where he wanted them to go. And he can't violate us. He can't violate our will. Why? Because if he wants us to love him in return, love is a choice. It's an exercise of the will. And if I don't choose to love God, then I'm choosing not to love God. Well, I've never chosen not to love God. No, that's the problem. Some things, by not choosing to do them, I am choosing to not do them. Even if I don't consciously make the choice, well, I don't want to do that. Now, I saw a picture the other day with a, a young lady uh, with a t-shirt on that said, I'm going to hell on scholarship. Now, that's just foolishness. I'm sorry. That, why is that foolishness? Because the scripture said the fool had said in his heart, there is no God. And the only person that can actually believe that, and I, I don't think if you pin that young lady down, she would actually say she believed, literally believed, and was living her life by that t-shirt. But she was representing herself as doing that for anybody who didn't know her. But, you know... Uh, I have to choose to love God. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. If I don't purposely choose to, to know God, love God, have God, obey God, and Him love me, etc., 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 then I am, in effect, from God's perspective, choosing not to do those things. So, what are we going to do about that, see? What are we going to do? Well, if I have God in me, and uh, I have the love of God in me because I have the Holy Ghost, and by the Holy Ghost, Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost, then I will experience the love of God. And as I experience the love of God, I will believe the love of God. And the word believe there literally is to put my trust in the love of God. So I have experienced and I do trust the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. So true Christianity is not keeping a bunch of rules. True Christianity is Believing, receiving, and allowing 
the God, the Spirit of God, the love of God to abide in me. And letting God, through His Spirit and love, become the Lord, supreme ruler of my life in everything. Inside and out. Attitude, actions, character, appearance, activities, you name it. We have treat people. All of that. That's true, true Christianity. True Christianity is not going to, is not going to church faithfully and paying your tithes faithfully and living a separated life and obeying the pastor and, and, and everything else you just live like you want to live. That's not Christianity at all. That's religion. If I have the love of God in me, I will do those things. But I'm not doing those things to earn anything from God. And I'm not doing those, doing those things as performance. I'm doing those things as a, as a product of the flow of the love of God in me, empowering me to do what God wants me to do. This is what it means for the love of God to be perfected. I, I grow in my maturity uh, uh, of understanding faith, confidence in God, which is growing and understanding and with my faith in my confidence in the love of God. I don't know one bit more about God than I know about the love of God. I don't know one bit more about the love of God than I do about God. You can't separate the two because they're not two. God is love. God is love. God is agape. God is agape. You can't have one without the other. It's not an either or. That's impossible. And there's a lot of people that say they have God. They're so full of anger. They so mistreat people. They got bad stuff to say. You can't, you can't find anybody they've got anything good to say about. I'm sorry to tell you right now, you don't have God. You don't have the Holy Ghost either. I don't care what you look like, how often you go to church, and how much you speak in tongues. If, if, if everything coming out of your mouth about people is something negative, that's not God. It's not God. It's not the love of God. It's not. Now, we have known and believed. We have experienced and we trust the love that God had to us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect. For what purpose? That, the Greek word for that is on this account, for this cause, that we may have boldness, this is the King James language, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Now, the word, here's the, here's, here's the goal of, of the love of God coming to a place of maturity and completion in our lives. Okay? So that we experience the love of God and we trust the love of God. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. The Greek word translated boldness there many times is translated confidence. And the word judgment, the Greek equivalent, the English equivalent letters of the Greek words is K-R-I-S-I-S. From which we get the English word crisis. So I know that in this context, the word judgment here speaks of the final judgment. But as I've said many times, and I'm saying to somebody right now who's fussing with God, complaining, unhappy about all the stuff that God is not doing and not letting happen and all the stuff He's not fixing in your life. 
knowing by experience the love of God and trusting God, which is trusting love, His love for me, I can have confidence in Him, therefore, in His love, in every crisis. Why? I've said this many times. If the judgment is the final exam, do you want to really sit through a class for a whole semester and not have any idea if you're learning anything? And so the purpose of all the pop quizzes and the, 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 uh, the, the, the midterm and the mid-quarter term and whatever, all those exams is to give you and I a clue of how much we're learning that subject so that when we sit down at the final exam, we know the answers to the test. So if the final exam is the judgment, is that the first time I want to know if my faith is trustworthy and my relationship with God is pleasing to Him so that I can be judged having chosen His will and chosen Him so that I'm saved? Or do I want to give thanks to God for every little test, every test, big and small. Every one of those is a precursor to the final. I want to pass every one of those tests. The ones I don't pass, I want to quickly repent for. I want to learn from my failure in passing that test so that I can. I am growing. My love is growing. My confidence in the love of God. My, my, my trust in the love of God, therefore my trust and confidence in God is growing. So that as this time goes on, by the time I stand before the great white throne judgment, neither God or I have any question about what my eternal destination is. Not because I'm so perfect, not because I'm so worthy, but because I have, He has loved me enough to test me constantly to give me little clues or big clues about where I am or where I'm not. I probably shouldn't say this in this context. The Lord gave me something today and I... I haven't done anything with it yet. I'm probably going to have to post it. Lord said this this morning. COVID has not killed any churches. It's just revealed the ones that were already dead. COVID hadn't killed any churches. It's just revealed the ones that are already dead. Well, let me take... That was what the Lord said this morning to me. Let's take that another step forward. COVID has not destroyed any individual person's faith in God. Hadn't killed it. COVID hadn't killed anybody's faith in God, no matter what they've gone through with COVID. Financially, health, loved ones, doesn't matter. It hadn't killed it. COVID has just revealed who doesn't have a relationship with God. If you have a relationship with God, COVID hadn't hindered it at all. No matter whether or not you've been to church or how you've been able to church or whether, what, no matter what. If you have a relationship with God, if you know and believe, if you experience daily and trust the love of God, therefore experience God and trust God in your life daily. COVID hadn't negatively affected that at all. In fact, it, it's, it's probably the circumstances around it's probably brought you into a more focused 
uh, experiencing of God and more focused uh, trust in God in all of this. Knowing that he's ultimately in control and that he has a plan and that none of this is out of his control. Nothing going on in this world is happening without his permission. That doesn't mean he's doing any of it. But it can't happen without his permission. And he only allows stuff to happen that ultimately will bring the world to the place that his word can be fulfilled. And if I know God and I know he is love, he's not anger, he's not wrath, God is love. If I know that's the case and there's bad stuff happening, then I've got to be able to trust God, trust his love, that all of this stuff is in God's control, even if I don't like what's happening in the flesh, and I don't like how it's affecting me, and I don't like the restrictions, and I don't like the mask, and I don't like the social distancing, and I don't, I don't, and it's very uncomfortable being around people who are paranoid about it all the time, and I, I wear a mask, and I practice social distancing, but I do it for others, because I'm not trusting the mask or the social distancing to keep me well. If it's the will of God for me to get COVID, I'm gonna get it. If it's not the will of God for me to get COVID, I'm not going to get it. And if I get it and live, will of God. If I get it and die, will of God. I'm not afraid of God. And circumstances aren't going to threaten me with heaven. I trust God. I trust Him. I haven't always been perfect in that. That's what this life is about. This whole life is about growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what this whole life is about. And when I, when I'm ready for the final exam, you won't be able to wake me up. When he's got me ready for the final exam, you won't be able to wake me up. Unfortunately, there is a time limit for all of us. And so, if, even if you're not ready for the final exam, when your time is up, you know, I, all the final exams I've taken in my life, there was a time limit. And I probably could have got a few more answers right if I had more time just to thought through stuff more deliberately, whatever, but they put a time limit on it. And with every final exam, there is a time limit. And there's a time limit on this life. And you don't know your time limit, and I don't know my time limit. I have a, I have words from the Lord about my time limit that I believe. But I don't have any control over my time limit. I didn't set it. And I'm not asking him to change it. When he's done, I'm out of here. But we pray for revival and we pray for harvest. How do you think that's going to happen in a world that's comfortable and complacent? But if I don't know the love of God experientially and I don't trust God and his love with confidence... How am I going to be a part of a world that has to be brought to a place where it sees its need of God if I can't handle all that and my relationship with God can not only survive all of that but thrive in that? What am I supposed to do? What are you and I supposed to do? How's that supposed to work? And all of this is about the love of God. Every bit of this is love of God. It's all about the love of God. All about that. It's all about that. Praise God. It's all about the love of God. Because it's all about God. Ultimately, everything is all about God. Now, 
Let me keep, keep reading here. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment or crisis. Because as He is, so are we in this world. Now, the Holy Ghost was saying these things to the Apostle John, <coughs> speaking to those, if you go back to the beginning of the, of the first epistle of John, and you read who this chap, this book was addressed to, wasn't addressed, this book's not addressed to the world, this book is addressed to the church. And John defines the church as those that have the Spirit of God in them. Therefore, they have the love of God in them. And so he says, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is, verse 18, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. Mature love casts out fear. So if I have fear, I have immature love. I haven't grown enough in my love. I haven't grown enough in my experience with God and His love. We haven't grown enough in my, in my trust in God and His love. Because there are open doors in my life for fear. Because there is no fear in love. And if I am filled with God, then I am filled with His love, and there's no place or room for any kind of fear in my life. Any kind of natural fear. No fear of the devil, no fear of this world, no fear of sickness or disease or accident, no fear of people and how they... How did Paul say it? Something along the line of, uh, the Lord is my helper, I shall not fear what men will do unto me. The Lord is my helper. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. The Lord is my helper. I, I shall not fear what men will do unto me. Or it's, I will not fear what men shall do unto me. Which one, one way or the other. I don't remember which. Why? Because my God's in control. And I am His child. And nothing can happen to me that He does not allow. Nothing. Nothing can happen to me that He does not allow. Nothing. Nothing. So why should I fear it? If God's in control of it, He's allowing it, even if it's painful, even if it's disappointing, even if it's difficult, even if it's not at all what I want or the way I wanted things to go, even if all of that is the case, the love of God, experiencing the love of God and God, and, and trusting the love of God and therefore trusting God, Let's me have confidence in the day of crisis because God loves me. And what does it say? There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. He that feareth, it, I just said that, I'm saying it, I'm reading what God says. I said it. My way, but here's God's way. He that feareth hasn't matured in love. He, if you've got any fear, if you're a worrier, 
If you have anxiety, if you're supposed to be a child of God and you got to take stuff to go to sleep or you got to take medication to calm down, take your medication, but it's not going to fix anything. It's not making your life better. It's not making it easier for you to cope. What you need is God. You need to experience God and His love. You need to have confidence in God and His love. You need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because when you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you're growing in grace and in our knowledge of the love of God, which was manifested in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We love Him because He first loved us. The only way I can get agape is to receive it from God. He requires me, and I'm not going to get into a great discussion of this today because I'm going to talk about it more in the very near future. I'll tell you about that before I'm done. But Mark 12, uh, 29 through 31 says, Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love the, thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So, in all of those situations, I'm supposed to love God, agape God, with all my heart, soul, and strength. I'm supposed to love agape, my neighbor, as, and again, because of redundancy, there's a word missing, but it's implied both in the Greek and the English. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thy, as you love yourself. Some translations actually say that. Some of the modern translations say it like that. If So if, if it says thou shalt love thy neighbor, if that word love is agape, then loving myself is with agape. Any love I have for myself that is not agape is not from the source of agape love is delusion, pride, arrogancy, etc., etc. It is taking credit for things that I don't have the right to take credit for. God is love. God is love. God is love. God alone is agape. God alone is agape. And if I'm going to agape God, I have to first let him agape me. That means I have to receive his love. I have to receive and believe his love. A man of God that I have great respect for uh, made these, uh, these statements just recently that I heard them. I'm going to share them with you because they really are biblically true. Because of the love of God, there are two things that we absolutely must believe. Here are two things that the love of God for us produces in those who become mature or complete in the love of God. First of all, I'm lovable. I'm not lovable because I've earned it. I'm lovable because I'm his. I'm lovable because I'm his. I belong to God. He loves me not because of what I do, but because of who I am. Now, Jesus said, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
So if I receive the love of God, the love of God is going to be working in me and through me, enabling, causing me to want to keep the commandments of God and in empowering me and enabling me to do those commandments. But when I make mistakes, God still loves me because he chose to love me. And he chose to love me, and I have to choose to receive that love and then give that love back to him. So the first thing I've got to believe is that I am lovable. The second thing is, and this is the hard one, no matter what my past is like, I am worthy to be loved. You are worthy to be loved. Not worthy in the sense that you or I have earned or deserved it, but worthy in the sense that he considers us worth loving. I am worthy, worthy, worthy. I am worth loving. Because he says I am. And he proved my worth to him and your worth, he proved his, your worth to him by hanging on a cross in your place and in my place and dying for all of our sins so that we can be saved. Now, this is a word from God today for you today. What it is also, this lesson going to be, This is going to be lesson one or the introductory lesson of a series of lessons that I'm going to do on the love of God. Because you can't separate love from God and God from his love if we don't understand that love. We don't understand God. And if we don't grow in that love, we don't grow in God. And so my next series that I'm going to be beginning very, very, very soon, and that will be available very soon as, as I'm able to get the lessons done, will be uh, understanding and knowing the love of God. And uh, that's a series I'm going to be focusing on now because it's so critical in this day. I can't love you without God loving you through me. I, don't, I can't love my wife with the love she needs except it be God's love for her flowing through me as his conduit to love her. She can't give me what I need, but she can be a conduit for God loving me through her. So we love God. We, we love him because he loved, first loved us, but then when we receive his love and we give it back to him, then he, in return to that, lets us see how much we're worth to him so that we can put enough value on us that we value everybody else like we value us based on his love for us. And so that revelation is the basis for all revival and harvest. And any revival and harvest that is in any church anywhere that is not based on the fact that we are conduits of God's love because he made us worthy, we didn't do anything to become worthy, and he loved us so that we could become conduits of his love to others, which will produce prayer and the other things God tells us to do to see revival happen and the harvest that will result from that revival. So this is a lesson for today, but this is the conclusion of what is now lesson one of the series, Understanding and Knowing the Love of God. God bless you. 
in Jesus' name. Look for the series, and uh, I'm really looking forward to doing that. I love this subject because it is not the wishy-washy, uh, feel-good uh, from a human perspective. I love you so much. Just live well how you want to live. Do all you want to do, and it's all going to be okay. That's a lie. It's a lie. That's not God. It's not the love of God. It's not Bible. So knowing all of that and understanding all, it's going to be very critical to each and every one of us going forward in the rest of the time that's left in this world before the Lord begins to bring every bit of this to a conclusion, which is going to happen much sooner than later. God bless you. Thank you very much for your time. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the spirit of grace and the spirit of the love of God upon each and every one of us that we might receive this into our lives today and receive the revelation. I loose the spirit of the revelation of the love of God in your life and my life today that it might work all the things that would please God. In the name of Jesus, amen.